The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. Welcome to the healthcare rap, where we are ushering in the future of healthcare and the status quo no longer exists where we are challenging assumptions about marketing and technology, and we check yesterday's thinking at the door. Where truth drops like an atom bomb, and knowledge flows like Niagara Falls. Each week we challenge assumptions that have been holding back healthcare marketing, and explain how we can do better. Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking for healthcare innovators. Here on the Healthcare Wrap, we believe that the healthcare experience has to change, and we're trying to do something about it. We can either stand back and let it take another 50 years, or we can jump in right now. And I think you know how we roll. We're not going to coast to neutral. We're hitting the gas. Come be a part of it. Each week, we talk about building the healthcare of tomorrow. We recently passed 170 episodes in three years on the air. We're now in season six, where we're focusing on how to operationalize and scale consumer-first healthcare and digging into the details of how to make it happen. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about taking professional development to the next level. How can we bring more active learning and hands-on collaboration into our industry? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I share some provocative thinking about product market fit. We'll share a couple of tools to put in your new tool set that will help you better understand how to design products, service lines, and experiences with the healthcare consumer at the center. This episode's jam-packed, and we have a lot to share along the way. It's time to dive right in. You ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. I look back at the ways that I have learned and not learned in my career so far, and I see a vast opportunity for our industry. Early in my career, I lived in a suburb of Dallas, Texas called Allen, and my boss enrolled me in a leadership development program called Leadership Allen. It was a nine-month course with a cohort of 12 participants, as I recall. We committed one day each month to meet as a group and complete some learning activities to help us better identify and develop leadership traits. That was only the first part of the day. We then took turns each month touring different businesses and facilities within the city, such as the local Presbyterian Hospital, which is now part of Texas Health Resources, the Chamber of Commerce, Economic Development Corporation, and so forth. We even completed a high ropes course one weekend. A significant part about the program was that we also had a capstone project that we worked on throughout the year together. It had to be a permanent contribution to the city. In our case, we planned and designed the planting of a special pecan grove as part of a beautification effort in one of the major city parks. At one point, I got the inside scoop from one of the board members who let me in on a little secret. They had kept the program cost at about three to $400 per participant because they believed that would keep people coming in. However, the board had received feedback that they should charge triple that amount. Why? Because that's what similar programs in nearby cities were charging. And more importantly, it changed the perceived value of the program to the stakeholders who were paying for it. 
namely the bosses of those who participated. There were so many things I learned from this program. I learned how to co-create something meaningful with people from different professional fields. I learned the importance of the perceived value of learning. And I learned that the feeling that came with this type of learning was important. I felt like I was part of something meaningful that would benefit me not just then, but the rest of my career. I looked forward to our sessions each month. Our capstone project required hands-on, active learning, not just filling ourselves with knowledge. And as a result, I feel like I learned at an exponentially faster rate. I believe that there are places for two kinds of learning in any industry, but especially ours. First, position-specific, field-specific, tactical learning about how to do our current job better. Second, leadership-level, broad-based, collaborative learning like Leadership Allen that develops your ability to contribute to the bottom line by understanding your place in the bigger picture. This is intended to be the start of a conversation about how we can do just that. How can we bring more active learning and hands-on collaboration into our industry? I believe finding the right answers requires asking the right questions, and I'm convinced this is the right one for us to ask as an industry. I think we can co-create a new educational experience with a higher perceived value, both to ourselves and to our organizations. We need to be talking about this kind of investment in professional development. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the Week. Hey, Zane, how are you doing? Good, how are you, Jared? Doing really well. I hope things are, are looking up for you and doing okay. Yeah, not bad. We're in the dog days of summer here in Detroit, which is crazy. Like, I can't believe it's like August already. First time gone. Right. I mean, it, well, COVID years, right? So it definitely <laughs> feels like like August 2024 or something. Yeah, it's like fast. It's slow. I don't know, man. I can't wait to be out of this. One of these days, I there is a light at the end of this tunnel somewhere. Absolutely. Somewhere. Absolutely. And you know, like I get on my Facebook, I get like reminders like a year ago, two years ago. And like, especially pre-pandemic, like it feels like it was a whole different life. And I'll be honest with our listeners, I've been feeling almost like grieving for like what used to be, if that makes sense. I don't know, it's just the oddest feeling and I'm sure others are feeling it too. That's a good, no, I, I totally relate to that. I think that's the best way to describe it actually. And not realizing for a while that it was something that we didn't have, you know, right. like previous yeah. life. Yep. So, well, perfect example, Jared. So yesterday I was in Ann Arbor. I had to go out there um, to meet with some colleagues and collaborators out there. And I was at the Starbucks in Ann Arbor that I used to go to all the time. It's about 45 minutes outside of Detroit. And I walked in there and like, it just all hit me. I'm like, gosh, like I haven't been here in two years. Like this used to be a place where I'd come and meet with people, you know, every two, three weeks. Right. And you know, for a moment, I just had like a glimpse of like pre-pandemic me, right? And it just made me start to realize like, wow, like there's things that we lost that we forgot we lost, but it's been feeding into that awkward feeling that we all kind of have or that feeling of loss. But maybe we're getting too deep for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we're just the right level of meadow right here. So I know, right? perfect, perfect time to uh, to move on here. But no, I agree. It's a little different when you're like, I didn't realize I was missing that in my yeah. life. Yeah, it's a little different. Well, one way or the other, hopefully things will get back soon. And uh, we all hope for that every time. Absolutely. Uh, another thing that genuinely, I can make a connection here. One thing that actually helps me stay uh, you know, above that, that malaise that has come from COVID is thinking about possibilities and opportunities in the industry 
at the end of the day to improve what's happening. And I think one of those opportunities is the theme of this season, which is using this new tool set. So regardless of somebody's discipline or their career upbringing in the, the field that they came in, the fact is there, there's kind of this glue out there, which is the thought of human-centered design, using design thinking principles and understanding what it means to design experiences. This is a whole new set of tools to and management methods you know, to reinforce this. We'll talk about digital tools. And yes, there are platforms that we've had to spend the better part of the last decade plus to, to learn how to manage and what the rules of engagement are to set up the foundations of the new consumer relationship. And now we're talking about the management methods that we set on top of that. Like, where do we go from here? What do we spend this next decade learning, mastering, and really focusing on to take things to the next level, to find the competitive advantage for a healthcare organization? And to me, it is this new tool set. We talked about a couple parts of it from agile versus waterfall project mm-hmm. management methods. We've done, we've talked a little bit about human-centered design itself. Yep. Today, we want to talk about a really specific set of tools, which are referred to as a business model canvas. And the goal of it is to find product market fit. What's interesting, Zane, is that these are terms that are common in certain aspects of like business school, yes, uh, if you will, yeah. and you know professional organ, uh, professional education. Yes, and it's not necessarily permeated through all areas of of say like clinical and non clinical administration in a health system where we're not necessarily thinking about these types of tools on a regular basis. And so it's worth our while to kind of talk about the tool itself and what's involved in it and and why we're doing it. And so I, I can kick us off in terms of. The goal of product market fit is really to address the, how do we meet the needs with the product that actually, like how do we create the product that meets the needs? And so if if you lean too heavily, very, it's kind of obvious, I think, if you lean too heavily on just creating a product, it doesn't actually solve the problem correctly, then it doesn't do much good. But then on the other hand, if we're focused so much on the needs and we don't get the product developed, then we're not much further ahead either. So we have to understand both sides. We have to understand the input and the output. And that is not an easy task. That's why that very thing uh, is what leads some entire industries to kind of crumble and become obsolete. Absolutely. It's a big deal. And so some of these tools, Zane, that that you use specifically, uh, let's dive into these. So the business model canvas, tell us about this. Maybe just start off in terms of what it is, but also who typically uses this? Yeah, 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 sure. So definitely want to validate what you just said is that a lot of these tools are now being taught in business schools, particularly progressive ones. And I guess I was lucky I came up through a business school education, so to speak. So I don't have a clinical degree, which I remind our listeners all the time. And I don't have like a, a public health degree either. And so I came out of University of Windsor with a degree in business with a concentration in entrepreneurship and strategy. And even at that time, when I was coming up through school, they weren't exactly talking about the business model canvas. They chose more traditional tools like the business model, sorry, um, business writing a business plan. But sort of right after 2012, um, sort of this whole notion of lean startup and, and startups became extremely popular, you know, especially in as you know, media popularized Silicon Valley and you know, being you know, a startup genie or startup king. And so the notion of business model canvases became a lot more um, diffuse. There's a number of people that would write about them, talk about it. I mean, really what it is, it's a simple tool. It's a, it's a, a canvas in the sense, or call it a whiteboard. Anyone can draw one. There's a few parts and we may not get into those specifics today because we just want to talk about value pr- proposition, but it's just a quick sort of back of the napkin, you know, sitting at a restaurant, you came up with an idea, way to organize 
an entire concept, everything from what you're ultimately going to deliver to who your key partners will be, what your key customer channels will be in segments, to what your cost structure might look like and what your revenue structure might look like for any given business or product or service. And the beauty about using these tools is you can complete one pretty quickly and very quickly pass it around to get feedback where if you focus the more traditional route, which is funny because it kind of aligns with waterfall project management, by the time you're done writing a solid business plan, you know, after two, three months, it might be outdated. And so these tools allow organizations and we use them effectively and correctly uh, to make decisions quicker and kick the tires on concepts quicker to see if they actually stick, make sense with your, you know, your health plan members, or your patients or any of your stakeholders. And so the business model canvas, and like I said, and probably in our next show, we'll talk about the, the complete canvas together, but the, the real core of it is aligning on your value proposition, meaning ultimately, you know, what is it that you're delivering to a customer via your product or service? And some of this stuff, and we talk about this all the time, Jared, is usually nothing's terribly new under the sun. So a lot of this aligns to what we've talked about with others on this call around jobs to be done. And so the value proposition canvas then is, is really two big buckets. So one side of the document is where you talk about your customer and you start to articulate ultimately what are the jobs, if you will, or the functions that your customer or in our context, your patient, your health plan member is trying to get done. And it's not necessarily, you know, they're trying to not be sick in the healthcare context. It's maybe it's more like they're trying to live their best life. And what does that mean? And you also start to then articulate, you know, what are some of the, the pains that they're experiencing in going through whatever journey or parts of their life, and then also the gains, so the good things. And then on the other side of the page, you map out if all those things are true about your customer, you know, potentially what are products and services that would ultimately meet those jobs to be done, if you will, or the jobs that your customer is trying to fulfill? What are, um, call it like value creators or specific things that the, that product or that service or those suites of products and services would do to address some of the pains that they have? And conversely, what are some of the specific things that they would do to ultimately mitigate some of the, the pains that they have as well. When you can articulate those things and then, you know, have a pretty frank discussion around, hey, does ultimately what we're deciding to build actually meet the profile of customer, the segment of customer that going after? If it does, you might consider moving forward and, and starting to develop a, a prototype or, you know, you know, maybe get out into the market and start asking more people. If not, you go back to the drawing board. And it's really as simple as that. And I'm sure some of our listeners are saying, wow, that is like really simple and stupid or duh, of course you would do that. But as you know, Jared, like people meet, miss this step all the time. And there's often not a lot of healthy debate around, did we really get that right? Are we really building the right thing before it's too late? You know, a product has already been developed and we've already maybe invested too much time, too much money, and we're just going with it to see it to completion. And to your point in the introduction, when it's finally ready to launch and ship to the first customer, it just falls flat. And so by doing all this work and using these tools at the beginning, it can actually help you design something that people actually want. Going back to one of the biggest concepts we talked to here, good design is at the intersection of desirability. Do people want it? That's the value proposition. Viability from a financial perspective, can we make this work? And then feasibility, technically, can we pull it off? And so that, in a nutshell, is the value proposition canvas.
Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT. Hey, this is Scott Burgess from Healthcare 360, the fair and balanced healthcare podcast, exploring everything you wish you knew about healthcare, but don't. Join us weekly in an open, transparent conversation with some of the biggest names in the healthcare business surrounding this one question and one question only. Had you known there were other options to exhaust and explore before you traveled down the traditional healthcare route, how would you weigh those options against what you think healthcare and medicine really is? For more information about Healthcare 360 and how together we can help transform lives, visit scotteburgess.com, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or follow us anywhere you enjoy listening. See you there. I love it. One example that immediately came to mind of where this could have been useful is a project where I was asked to help increase adoption of a patient portal. And it was it was a patient portal that was, like many of them, originally implemented to fulfill meaningful use requirements. So government health IT requirements for, for those who are not familiar. And yeah, there were some features in it that when you looked at the the vendor, they, they walked you through, these are the things that this portal allows you to do. You know, it sounded like a pretty good value proposition, but we didn't actually go through. I mean, I, I wasn't involved in the implementation of it. I was just asked to help increase the use. And so it was more of a, how do we get people aware of it? And so like we were going the route of like, we, we filmed a, an instructional video with a, you know, really, um, a really friendly customer service representative who was helping show how to log in and how to do this, this, and this, and here pointing out the, the things, which was a good step. And then there were even like, hey, how how often can we do some outreach to everyone who's ever who has a record in the EHR and tell them about it? And let's put some posters up all around the, the hospital. And and there was an increment. I mean, after months of doing all these things, yeah, there was an incremental uptick, but nothing like what was. Uh, hoped for. And when I started having these, you know, really candid conversations about, well, okay, put yourself in the shoes of the patient who were asking to just increase their usage of this portal. What's our value proposition to them? Why are we telling them that they, they should log in and do this? Well, they can check their test scores, their test results. Okay. So you're going to do that once at most, depending right. on the per test. And unless you're getting tested every week, that's probably not going to over time increase the amount of times that you are engaging with the portal. So what else? Well, you can go back, you know, we're, we're preloading all your imagery, all your radiology images uh, back like three years or something. We're going to load those up for you. Okay, cool. So I can go check to see, you know, that one time it came into the ED and yeah, so, you know, I broke my arm or whatever. And I can go see that my arm's completely healed by now. So I'm not sure why, but Hey, you know, I can go check it. You know, just kind of trying to be realistic about like, what are we actually offering? And I know this, the value proposition canvas would have helped yes. to adjust the expectations because like I said, all the efforts we did put did 
cause an incremental uptick, but the expectation was that we were going to be up near like 80, 90, hundred percent. And I want to say we we're hovering, if I recall, like in the 50 to 60% range. So not terrible, quite frankly, for a portal, which we hadn't been communicating why you should log in was actually a pretty good number of people yeah. who had, who had logged in at one point or another, but we still weren't considering ultimately the needs or the value to the user. And I think that that could have saved us a lot of time. Yeah. And I think part of the value proposition canvas, which again is very similar to the jobs to be done. Like I said, nothing's ever new under the sun. And a lot of these tools connect and you can work them together and they're just tools to get you to an end. But part of what this canvas does is it helps you think about, you know, the environment in which your customer is living in. So it's not just about tactically what they're doing, but like what's their the emotional needs that they might have and so on and so forth. And so, you know, when you talk about portals, it reminds me of some portals I'm familiar with in healthcare, um, more so to help administrators. And this one company I'm aware of, you know, is trying to create this new knowledge portal hub. And the advice I gave to them is like, listen, like administrators in healthcare and, you know, medical leaders too, and everyone, we don't have time to log into another portal. We don't have time to, you know, remember our password. And so unless that thing's integrated into Outlook, into our workflow, we're not going to remember to go and look there and pull, you know, whatever reports you have there for us. And so again, it's where, sure, the portal might work. The portal might look good. It might be easy to navigate, but if it doesn't, if there's no pull to get into it, if you're not like fundamentally addressing some need where people will do the, call it the physical and mental work to go and log in to then get to that nice user experience, it's never going to fly. And so that's why it's so important to use tools like this to ask broader questions about the environment, if you will, that your product or service will reside in, if that makes sense. The good news is on the healthcare side, I don't want to say this is good news, but healthcare has gotten a pass for so many years because there's a demand elasticity. I don't know if that's the right term. If that sounds stupid, you'll figure whatever, give me a pass. But there, but you know, when you are sick, when you are dying, when you really need medical care, that's such a important thing. It's such a fundamental thing. You will throw yourself into a terrible experience or jump through any hoop to get what you need. And so that's why I think healthcare over the years has gotten a pass. But now that, you know, new disruptors are in the space, you know, the Amazons of the world and the folks that we talk about at Nauseam on this podcast, they're coming with a better experience, which then makes those of us who are kind of on the legacy side of healthcare now have to compete and have to get this right. And so therefore, these tools are going to be essential in any administrators or digital transformations toolbox to ensure that teams are actually building for what people truly want. And not just, and I'll make a nuance, not just what they want, but how they want it. I'll end my rant there. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, you can keep the rant going. I'll even tack onto it. (laughs) The thought of what really drives us there. You're right. The value itself that's derived for the patient, uh, healthcare has kind of gotten a pass. And again, I always just think of things in terms of the opportunity. Like why wouldn't we explore ways to make this better? for the patient, for the consumer. And you're right, those entities, those non-traditional competitors who are entering the space with a better experience of some kind, it's this thought of, sure, they're not going to replace what happens in a hospital. They're not going to have replace what happens in an ambulatory surgical center. That's not their intention. But what if collectively all these non-traditional competitors can eat, you know, erode, I don't know, 5, 10, 15, 20%? Last time I checked, hospitals don't have 15, 20% uh, margin to give away to anybody. And there's also just the 
the referral relationships that that drives anyway. Like who's going to refer people to your specialists one way or the other. So it's just, it doesn't make sense for me to not think through that as part of the business model canvas. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this gets back to a topic I don't know if we've covered here, but, you know, ultimately currently health systems compete on care experience and quality. In the future, they will have to compete on relationship. And these are the tools. And, you know, currently we're living in that transition to that new source of competitive advantage, which is ultimately building enduring relationships with your customer base. Yeah, we'll be able to look back, I don't know, three years, five years from now, we'll be like, see, we see, like, let's point to the market leaders and say, (laughs) this is how they not only survived the post-COVID malaise where no hospital right now that I know of. I mean, no one for sure knows what's going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months. Sure. Uh, but even the the projections of how sure. do we live in a world where uh, patient volumes are at 80 to 90% of what they were pre-COVID because there's still just general thoughts and perceptions of it's not safe there. We're going to have to deal with that. That's the reality. So let's think through all the scenarios and find ways to to create a new competitive advantage. I wholeheartedly agree. Like that's where we're going to be competing in the future. And I think it's going to happen a lot sooner than, than some realize. They're going to- Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, and you know, I don't want to- break from our show topic here, but if I can just make another prediction, I really think that Olive down based in whether Columbus, who does a lot of remote process automating work, if I'm right, and analytics work is going to have a heyday over these next few years, because what we're also seeing, Jared, because of the vaccine mandate, there's going to be vaccine mandates across the country in healthcare. There's going to be a significant exodus of lower wage folks who work in hospital systems, including nursing, including some physicians, really everyone. But I think it's really going to hit, you know, some shared services really hard, like contact centers, schedulers, you know, folks right now who could probably go work in a restaurant and actually make more. And so any, you know, any companies out there that can now help hospital systems truly automate processes like phone calls, inbound calls, outbound engagements, things like that, which I believe that's all of space if I understand what they do, amongst other things. I think those are going to be in high demand because now we're a couple months away from being forced to do literally as much as we're doing now with like 15% less staff, which is going to be insane in some of these um, supporting functions. And so kudos to them for getting out there and it's going to be an interesting next few months. It really is. Really is. Uh, looking forward to uh, just riding along and seeing, yeah, right. uh, seeing where things are, pointing out the opportunities as we can to, you know, so that we're not looking back, you know, genuinely in six months from now saying, hey, why didn't we survive? Why couldn't we make this work at the right. end of the day? And I don't emphasize this enough myself. I really should say this because I constantly, you know, talk about and, and harp on things to improve. Why? Why do I talk about that so much? Because at the end of the day, I know the good work that our healthcare professionals are doing. And I know yeah. the types of work that cannot be replaced. Correct. But, but so there's there's a mission in healthcare and the mission cannot be funded without the rest of this. We have to figure out how to keep the lights on before we can keep the mission going. And so Absolutely. like at the end of the day, that's what I want. I don't want hospitals to close, you know, like I don't want providers to migrate somewhere else and retire and burn out. I don't want that any more than anyone else does. That's why I feel the need to improve in these ways that we can. At the end of the day, that's what helps uh, not only keep the lights on, but drives innovation. So that's where I'm going with things. And I probably need to say it a little bit more often because, because that's where I'm coming from. Got it. 
completely support that and align with that. I think the beauty when this all shakes out, it's not that hospitals are going away. To your point, there's no way that Amazon's going to be doing, um, you know, heart transplant tomorrow. But certainly a health system's primary care network you know, may not look like it does today if they don't innovate and you know step up to the plate and do something. So I think that's the opportunity. 100%. Zane, always a pleasure. Any uh, other final thoughts before we go up? You know, maybe, you know, just one thought around leadership I've been really pondering, which relates to this is especially what COVID's impact has been on all of this. In the early days, you know, I see a lot of leaders, you know, a lot of people, you know, running to help, running to change, running to innovate, to call it fight the flame. Like think about a forest fire. When you see flames, you know, people want to get in. They want to come with the helicopters. They want to come with the bombers and put out the flame. But what's happening now is like there's still embers that are out there burning. And it seems like there's kind of less attention or less people paying attention to almost like these subtle changes that are still happening, which at any point could flare up and start a new forest fire. So even like think about, you know, staffing issues that I'm bringing up now. I would just encourage our listeners, those in transformation, that this thing is not over. You know, the call it the acute opportunity to innovate, you know, might have been earlier last spring. But now there's going to be some more that are going to flare up. And so continue to watch. I don't think we've missed the game yet. And this is still evolving. And so, you know, keep focus, keep your head in the game, keep striving and pushing for what it is that you're, you know, passionate about and trying to achieve. And I promise you in the next, you know, year and a half, there's going to be opportunity to continue to to bring healthcare where it needs to go, especially through the vehicle of COVID. It's not over. Oh, thanks for for pointing that out. A great way to wrap all this up. Zane, stay safe. Stay well. Absolutely. And uh, all the best to you. Thanks, Jared. Ed Marks here with Digital Voices, the only podcast for chief digital officers across all of healthcare and life sciences. Digital Voices is about the voice of the patient, the provider, the payer, pharma, big tech, retail, public health, really any part of the healthcare and life sciences ecosystem, that's the digital voice we want to capture as we learn and break barriers across the entire spectrum. Join us weekly as we drop our pod. Thanks to Zane and thank you for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about this podcast. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare App is a member of the Shift.Health Content Network. Folks, if you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows on the Shift.Health Content Network. In fact, go check out the latest podcast in the network. It's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill and Symphony RM. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at shift.health, where all 34 podcasts and video shows are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks, and that's a wrap. Thanks.